This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, March 7th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. New elections in Italy have boosted anti-liberal populists, but this election probably wasn't going to have a happy ending for Friends of Liberty. According to Alberto Mingardi, adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute, he discusses the political geography of Italy now and what populism means for Europe at large. What should Italian uh, free marketeers, people who... uh, cherish liberty and view the liberty as the highest political value. Uh, was there any outcome in this Italian election that they would have liked? Any possible outcome? Well, Caleb, um, there was no possible great outcome for the free market or for people that cherish liberty, the open society, and so on and so forth. And this was one of the problems with this election. Anti-establishment parties have won. They've won big time. These parties on the right uh, tended to campaign basically against immigration. That that was the thing. Uh, On the left, they campaigned for bigger government, uh, for subsidies to everybody in the form of a, a basic income, very generous one. But these anti establishment parties were not opposed by somebody who embraced a rhetoric pro-globalization, pro-free market, pro-Europe. They were opposed by people um, who were basically promising the same thing a bit watered down. And that was clearly the case with with Mr. Renzi. He he embraced the leader of the left-wing Democratic Party, I mean the moderate in the left. They embraced a version of the anti-establishment rhetoric just, you know, with softer tones, with, with nicer vocabulary, with uh, a little bit of a flavor of the great man of the world. And this was not a winning strategy. So in a way, this is a very bad outcome for anybody believing in, in liberty, but also in instability of Europe, which is important for the rest of the world. Tell me about uh, Matteo Salvini and uh, Luigi Di Maio. They're very different. They're two very different leaders. Matteo Salvini is clearly a highly capable politician. He got uh, at the end. And he's he's the leader, for lack of a better term, of the right-wing coalition? He's the leader of the Northern League, which is the extreme party within the right-wing coalition. I mean, the right-wing coalition has a as a more moderate wing, uh, which is uh, Forza Italia, the party founded and led by Mr. Berlusconi. Uh, Mr. Berlusconi used to be, so to say, the majority shareholder of the coalition. Now it's no longer. Now Mr. Salvini is. Uh, the Northern League used to be um, a right-of-center a free market secessionist party, the party of the North. But nowadays, no longer. Uh, Mr. Salvini transformed it into a single-issue party that deals exclusively, more or less, uh, with immigration and that preach uh, bigger government. Uh, it also preaches, to be fair, a flat tax, but uh, the rate they're looking for is 15%, which is just impossible uh, in Italy in this in this war and with these public finances. And Mr. Salvini is a highly capable politician. As I said, he, he, he got at the helm of the party when the party was fading away 4%. Now the party is uh, over 17%. Uh, but he got all of these votes basically um, with a message of fear. 
He's the guy who wants to protect uh, Italians from diversity, immigration. He is really in favor of a more close-knit society. He thrives on nostalgia for for times that are lost. Um, He doesn't have much of an economic platform, but he opposes uh, the European Union not only as, you know, a great bureaucratic monster, uh, but also as, you know, the people in charge of our currency, so to speak. So he he has a an anti-euro uh, uh, agenda as well, even though he's no longer talking of leaving the euro up front because he's an intelligent man and he understands that's going to be uh, a nightmare. Um, one thing which is typical of Mr. Salvini is that Mr. Salvini speaks all the time and to all audiences with the same tones. He's always, you know, an unrepentant, extremist, uh, a securitarian, so to say. And I think this was perhaps a a source of success for him. You know, he's simple to understand. Um, And and he clearly appeals, you know, to to lots of Italians who are wary of of immigration in particular. Mr. Di Maio is is really different. And uh, I think in in many ways it's... uh, it's an interesting development in Italian politics for this reason. Um, Mr. Di Maio is the leader of the Five Star Movement, uh, a group that was established in 2009 by Beppe Grillo, a comedian, and now commands more than one third of the votes. Uh, the group runs on an extreme uh, left-wing leaning platform. They want to nationalize businesses. Um, they want to... Um, you know, clearly distribute boons, redistribute money, fight against inequalities, all of that. Um, But at the very same time, Mr. Di Maio is uh, well-mannered, soft-spoken, very moderate as a personality. Uh, So the people that could decide to vote for him for the Five Star Movement had this very interesting mix in front of them, an extremist platform and a very moderate leader. And this proved to be a a good choice because clearly has convinced lots of people that that was a viable option. They may be a bit extreme when it comes to their ideas, but look, they are so reasonable. I mean, Mr. Di Maio is such a kind man. Um, They're both very, Di Maio is really a a young man by Italian standards. He's in his 40s, he's in his 30s, I'm sorry. Um, Mr. Salvini is in his 40s. It's a new generation of politicians, uh, and none of them, uh, not Mr. Salvini, not Mr. Di Maio, uh, had any background outside of politics, which is an interesting thing to to consider. Um, Clearly, you know, one thing is campaigning, one thing is being in government, and they both have great experience in campaigning, great success, clearly, in campaigning, uh, but not so much experience on the executive side. What is the possibility of a effective ruling uh, coalition government between these two parties? Uh, it seems like the you know the five star movement. You you said leftist uh, in a way, but there was a there's a there was seems like there has to be a lot of overlap between the two. If if the if the issue is protection, it seems like they can both claim we want to protect you in some way. Well, I think. They are united in their economic populism, that's for sure. Uh, But I don't think they will end up in government together. 
for this reason. Um, Mr. Salvini now is really uh, the prospect leader of the center-right coalition. Um, his game will be, in, in the next few weeks, to hegemonize the center-right. This means he has nothing to gain and lots to lose uh, by entering in a coalition with the Five Star Movement. Paradoxically, if Mr. Salvini scored second in his own coalition, this would have been a much more probable option. Uh, but now, you know, Mr. Berlusconi is 81 years old. Good chances are that this one was his last election. So Salvini's game, I think, in the next few weeks and months will be uh, developing a new coalition on the right. There will be uh, a populist, uh, extremist, protectionist, Trumpian right. Um, when it comes to who's going to be in government, uh, I think we don't know by now, certainly. Um, the Five Star Movement is the first party by far. The right-wing coalition is the first coalition. Um, the Democrats of the left, one of the big losers of these elections, cannot clearly govern, but they could somehow uh, get into a deal with the Five Star Movement. Uh, there will be, I think, uh, something lots of people within their party will like because they see commonalities, for example, when it comes to their Keynesianism uh, with the five-star guys. Um, you know, clearly, people that voted for them will be disappointed because they voted for the Democrats of the left, by and large, in order to avoid a five-star government. Uh, but this may be ultimately the outcome of the election, a five-star government with some sort of support from the traditional uh, left. Uh, this creates, I think, a big problem uh, for Italian politics at large. If I may present you with a very, um, you know, with a very simple narrative of the last uh, 20 years in Italian politics, what happened most of the time was that Mr. Berlusconi's right was winning election upon some exotic and uh, sometimes free market promises. They weren't doing much in terms of liberalizing the economy or lowering taxes, but they were doing something most of the time bad to Italian public finances. Mr. Berlusconi hasn't been a very careful uh, manager of Italian public finance, nor he ever believed in a balanced budget and so on and so forth, particularly when he was in government. So uh, after this short period of uh, right-wing government, the center-left used to come back, and the center-left, with all its problems, was very sane, uh, in issues related with public finance. So perhaps they were raising taxes, but they were clearly looking at the numbers and they tried most of the time to uh, somehow bring public finances back in shape. Now, if the, if the center-left moves into a junior partner with the five-star guys, the big question is going to be, uh, who's going to be playing the grown-up in Italian politics? The protectionist right will have little concern about markets and uh, the budget. 
The five star and the left, likewise, will try to spend their way uh, out more consensus and, you know, thinking that this will always somehow generate more economic growth. So the problem is who's going to be the grown up? Who's going to be the guy telling the other, look, you know, there's not really enough money to keep the pace of your own promises. You say that there are, you know, strong forces in Italy to form this Trumpian right and that it has grown considerably in recent years. What what do you have to say about the rest of, of Europe? There are similar tendencies at work uh, in other countries, but Italy so far has been unique. You know, in a sense, Italy is what France would have been without Monsieur Macron, without somebody uh, that could keep, you know, the protectionist right uh, at bay. I think... Markets and international observers and European institutions have so far clearly um, looked at Italy with some sort of complacency. They didn't properly consider the Italian country risk. Now, in the next few weeks, I think we're going to be seeing a, a change in their attitude. A big problem in Europe nowadays is that the European Central Bank is basically the bond holder of last resort of the European economy and that, you know, with non-conventional monetary policies, so to say, part of, uh, I mean, the price of risk, so to say, has been put under control. Everybody has the impression that if things may really go bad, there is what we may call the draggy put. So the ECB will step in and and, and somehow save the day. Um, In the short term, you know, this may have been beneficial for some countries, including Italy. uh, But in the long term, you know, it is really this climate that makes it possible for populist parties to gain traction because, you know, people see that, you know, the pressure for reforming has wiped away. Um, People see that, you know... um, Basically, the cost of indebtedness has been uh, lowering down. And so they think, why why not uh, going on uh, like we did in the last few years? Uh, with the fact that in Germany now the, the left is in government as well, I think we may have more of the same in the next few years. And so I think we should start to look at the effect of monetary policy uh, into nation-state uh, decision-making in, in Europe. In, you know, we, we may realize pretty soon that non-conventional monetary policies uh, may have been required in the short run, uh, but they're going to be poisonous in the long run, and they're going to be breeding populism, not stopping it. Alberto Mingardi is an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. He's also director general of the Instituto Bruno Leone in Italy. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>